there's like this meme on Twitter. You don't need a, a useless degree to, to build online, right? And I spent five years getting my degree. So I used to love that shit. The truth is like knowledge is the only thing that kind of sets you apart, right? Knowledge and skill. Welcome to a new episode of High Fury Presents. In season two, I interview new guests with the same vibe and the same goal to make you a better creator. Today, I talked to Kieran Drew. Kieran started his career as a dentist, but actually hated it. He thought if he worked hard, he would get rich and have the life he always dreamed of. Just before starting a new job at a dental practice, he got the break he wanted. They called him to say they needed more time to open a practice, and that was the moment he decided to go a different route. He started writing online and building an audience. In this episode, you'll learn how to make your first internet dollar and what you should talk about to build an audience and build your own brand. My name is Anik, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Kieran, so nice of you to be here. And for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So name's Kieran Drew. I am a writer, primarily hanging out on Twitter way too much. People kind of know me from this whole transition from dentist to content creator. And uh, yeah. That's pretty much my, uh, me in a sentence. Good, good, good. And so, yeah, one thing I think a lot of people have noticed, but maybe still interesting for some, is you had quite a, an interesting injury. Uh, you were literally wheelchair. You couldn't do much. Tell us a little bit how that came about what, what, and what that did to your life. Yeah, man. So it's pretty crazy. I mean, I was 16 and my spine had started bending, what we call scoliosis. And, you know, it's a serious problem and nothing kind of too serious. And I went in for a scan and, you know, the, the doctor called us back in a couple of weeks later and was like, yeah, there's a bit of a problem here. And luckily at the, just at the top of the scan, they had noticed that something else might've been going on because they weren't even scanning the top of my neck. And what they found was that I had actually broken my neck in about three, four places. So it's really fractured. And there was this non-cancerous tumor growing in the spinal cord and it kind of made sense because I used to get these blinding headaches and, you know, my fingers were going a bit numb, but I didn't really know what was going on. And, you know, all of a sudden we, we kind of, you know, we went in for a wonky back and, and I left and, and uh, you know, the, the doctor had said basically is surgery as soon as possible or else you're going to be lucky to be walking by 30. So, yeah, bit of a blessing in disguise really. But yeah, that, that was about uh, 12 years ago, mate. Oh, wow. Wow. And and what did that do to you? Because that was, that was luck. As much as was, you know, being unlucky, I guess. How, how did you look at that? I've always framed it as the best thing that's ever happened to me. Because I think when you go through like quite a difficult time, particularly when you're younger, you're forced to kind of view the world a bit differently. And at the time, mate, I was quite a pessimistic kid. Like I was never really that hardworking or that driven. And basically what happened, mate, was first and foremost, I found out about, you know, the locus of control, right? Like focusing on what you can impact and, and really the only thing you could do in that situation was respond well and so i remember seeing like how frightened my mom was when i was rolling in and i thought you know what you can't do anything about this now let's just start laughing right like smile on your face the whole time and i've kind of been using that for a lot of stuff like i i generally try to take pride in like being the guy that always responds positively since then and it also i mean look man it was a, it was a 14 hour surgery so when i came out you know there was three weeks where i basically wasn't able to move and then probably about six, seven months trying to get back to normal. And it was really humbling because I thought that, you know, you get back to life, everything's going to be great. And, you know, all the stuff that you took for granted was suddenly a mountain to climb. 
And what that really taught me was this idea of, you know, that James Clear's idea of like 1% better, where, you know, like I, I wanted to go for a run, but I couldn't get out of bed. Right? And it was like, okay, well, let's just work on sitting up and sitting back down and doing these things. And that daily stack of small wins kind of built up to get quite good progress. And then I realized that if I could use that approach for pretty much anything I, I, I could try, it might not get you to the top, but it'll get you pretty close if you're kind of patient, optimistic, and determined, right? Exactly. And was was that also the reason why you wanted to become a dentist? Maybe you aimed for, I don't know, consultant before, and now you thought, no, no, I'm going to aim to be a doctor or a medical professional or... Well, I'd actually already got into dentistry at the time of diagnosis. So, so what happened was I was planning on, so I went to a military school, right? So, you know, that whole like this ending kid away and I'm marching around and I was going to join the army and um, I was having my interviews and then, you know, they don't let you in if your neck is like falling to pieces. So that's when I was like, well, what the hell do I do? And, you know, right or wrongly, my dad was like, well, look, I've never met a poor dentist. So why don't you become a dentist? Um, so what happened was I had to have the operation and I had to recover by the September of uni or else I would lose my spot in dentistry. But it really helped after because like I was always like a bare minimum guy. But then when I actually became a dentist, it was like, great, let's apply that work ethic and see how it goes. Cool. But then a couple of years in dentistry or more than a couple, but you thought this is just not me. Well, what happened? Yeah. Do you know what, man? Like I think the warning signals were there from the start. Like I enjoy science and maths, but I, I never really enjoyed working with my hands like that. Obviously writing is a little bit different. And everyone would always ask, you know, why do you want to be a dentist? Like you're staring in people's mouths all day and, and, and people go, you know, they've got the highest suicide rates. And I, all we used to say to each other was, well, look, we're going to have brilliant Porsches, aren't we? And when I left university, I was like, look, um, I want to do well. So I started working really hard, you know, six days a week, not to kind of get rich, but because I really craved independence. And, and I thought, you know, the best way to do this is work as hard as you can, save as much money as possible, retire as early as possible. And the problem with that, mate, is that there's this quote from Daniel Vazala, right? Only uh, internal motivation lasts. And it just got to this point where, you know, I was turning up to work, but I was listening to people on podcasts talk about their creative careers. And I'd be thinking, God damn, man, like, I feel like you're making a bit of a mistake here, right? Like, there's no points for climbing the wrong mountain. The main problem was that I didn't know what the hell to do, right? Because you can't exactly drill teeth on Twitter. Everyone talks about like transferable skills. And I was like, well, dentistry is about as niche as it gets in terms of what else you can do. So I kind of resigned to that fate, right? I was like, look, I'm not going to be happy at work, but I can be happy in life. Then COVID hit. What happened was my friend sent me a podcast from uh, Naval Ravikant in April 2020. And was like, hey, I think you might like this guy. Like, have a little listen. And from there onwards, man, I was like, I firstly realized my whole work ethic is a lie, you know, discovering stuff like leverage, building an audience, that sort of stuff. And I've never worked harder to escape deep since basically and get to where I am. That's cool. That's cool. It's funny. Ali Abdal, he actually, you know, he did his uh, uni, he started as a doctor in, in the hospital and then he started, you know, YouTubing about it, how to, how to become a doctor. So you, you didn't think about that as a, you know... I am a dentist. I could probably talk about how to become a dentist on YouTube. That might be a start to my creator profession or... I mean, it did cross my mind, mate. But the way that I saw it was that I was trying to build and like escape a career, not cement it. And, um, you know, one, one of the most popular quotes from Naval Ravikant is that pursuing your intellectual curiosity is, you know, a much better path for building a career than whatever's hot right now. And dentistry was hot, right? It, you know, people making a lot of money there. But I was really, really interested by stuff like philosophy. 
And whilst I'd never written before, or at least since I was a kid, I was like, the idea of writing seemed really cool. Unfortunately, I really sucked at it, but I was like, look, I'd rather take the slow route if it meant that, you know, three or five years down the line, I'd be somewhere completely different. And that's actually one thing I said to my girlfriend. It was like, look, uh, I'm not happy with work. I'm going to try and build a new career. By the way, this is really going to suck. So let's just say, don't monitor the results for two years, right? Let's see at the end of two years, how has it gone? And if, if we're still getting no results, then, you know, maybe it's not for you. Scoop mode, chill. And so did you stop being an NS Gold Turkey or did you just slowly progress towards being a writer? Or? The original plan was to phase it out, right? No kind of bold moves. I'm not really that sort of guy. I'm usually quite cautious. And what happened, mate, it's like the, the creative economy is like a, a stone in your shoe is the way I thought of it, right? It was like, at first, it was pretty cool. Like, I'm just noticing it a little bit, right? But the more that I went on, it was more the, the only thing I could think about. And so I actually got a job three days a week as a cosmetic dentist. And that was meant to start in September, 2021. And I got that job in February. So we've been waiting a long time. And then what happened was it was a brand new clinic, state of the art. It was basically like every dentist's dream job, except the, the closer I got to it, the more I was like, oh dear God, like not again. Like this is going to be at least another year. And um, anyway, like, the day before I was meant to start, my boss calls me up and he goes, look, the clinic's not ready. Take a month off and we'll pay you. And I was like, oh, wow. So I was, I was like proper celebrating. And then when I thought about why I was celebrating, I thought, well, at first I thought it's I've got another month to write, right? As in like, I'm getting paid to do nothing. And then I was like, well, actually it's because you're, you have more time to build your dream than your bosses. And I just thought to myself, well, look, this seems to be a bit of a, I don't really believe in fate, but I was like, look, this is an opportunity where maybe you tell your boss, look, I'm really sorry. And it's going to be crazy for you trying to find a dentist in the next three weeks, but I'm out. And I like to pretend it's like a brave decision, but I called my mom, my dad, my girlfriend, my friends. And basically by the end of that day, I was like, look, um, why don't you consider betting on yourself and you're seeing how it goes? The only problem then, mate, was that, I mean, we, we, I did quit, but um, I hadn't made any money online, right? I didn't know what the plan was. But in a way that like removal of the safety blanket was, was uh, safety net was, 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 was really handy in the, in the long run. Yeah, yeah. You're back against the wall. You, you know, you start running real quickly. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, I, I had a bit of the same. I worked at a digital agency for a couple of years and then pretty much cold turkey. I had a little bit of runway, but I just decided to go freelance and I had to find like a, an assignment really quickly. Otherwise, I would have been out of money. So, yeah, in, in just a matter of weeks, I got my first assignment. And yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, people ask me if you recommend it. It's like, if you've got kids and stuff, maybe don't be too silly about it. Right. But like, the bit of advice I don't agree with is when someone will say, you know, wait until you've replaced 40% of your income. And it's like, I get that, but you're basing that number on this other arbitrary number doing something you don't enjoy. And it's like, well, if you can work out your burn, right? And if your risk tolerance as well, because we're all different, uh, it's like, well, either go all in and think I can make this happen or worst case, I go get another job. Or you do the side hustle until you can cover your costs. And then you think, well, if I could do this for 10 hours a week, what happens when I apply 50? And it's just kind of mathematics from there, right? Exactly. And with me, a little bit of the reverse happened. Like I went to, to freelancing, really enjoyed myself, made a lot of money, like 15, 20K a month. I, you know, got my pilot license. I drove uh, quite nice cars. But then after a few years, I started feeling like I'm building someone else's dream as well. I'm going to, I need to start my own thing. So that's when I started creating uh, startups, building startups. Wow. And so, okay, Naval, you know, he, he sparked something inside you. You got this like 
little bit of a, a lucky break from your work. Open your eyes. Said, okay, hey, it's time for me. I can do something. And then, and then what happened? Did you immediately go to Twitter or more or less? So I'd, I'd been writing on Twitter for about a year before then, but I only had maybe about two to 3,000 followers when I quit. Uh, I'd actually just gone viral like a month before when I shared my story about my neck. And that was, that was the first time where I thought, you know what? Writing is a really cool way to find people you can help. That was the first signal where I was like, and it's really shaped how I do my content around storytelling and stuff. The original plan that Yannick made was the freelance route, right? Because the problem online is that we all live in this little echo chamber. And, you know, originally I was like, look, I want to write to help people with with ideas I believe in. And then, you know, a month on, uh, a few months on Twitter and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be a ghostwriter. So I was like, I'm going to be a copywriter. I quit my job. And it was really interesting to see this very quick decline in motivation. Like, you know, I sat there and I was like, time to find some clients. And I literally did everything but the work, you know, like I was messing around. I was doing this, doing that. And at first I was getting really frustrated and, and you know, feeling like a massive imposter. And what I actually realized was that I was like, well, you're not really pursuing your energy here. It felt like I was trading a job for a job. And I do believe that people do need to get results in some shape or format. But what I was like was, oh, well, if someone told me I could write all day, every day, building my own brand, or I could write all day, every day, building 10 other people's brand, it's like, well, I'll do mine. If it is the slower route, then, you know, so be it. And thing is, it took me about three months to make that realization, right? So banging again, my head against the wall for three months. And then I realized that it was like, so becoming a copywriter, big fail. Okay. And I actually announced it to the public. I'm going to be one. And then I had to write the thread saying why well, I didn't make it. What I learned from that though, is that public commitments are brilliant for a forcing function. And so March the 1st, I always thought it'd be epic to have a digital product, right? Like I came from like Chat Butcher was the person I used to listen to the most. And I thought these these guys are living the dream, like so cool. So I just announced on Twitter, I'm going to release my first product this month. Not built, not written, all this sort of stuff. And again, brilliant forcing function, 31st of March. I you know, clicked my first sales email and I remember standing there, mate, and I was looking at my Gmail thinking, dear God, what have you done? Because, you know, like there's no like immediate response. And I thought there are thousands of people reading this email, laughing at me now thinking, why the hell would I want your stuff? And what actually happened there, mate, was that maybe after about 20 minutes, someone bought my product and it was $37, but there was also like a $200 upsell call and they bought that. And so my first bit of internet money was $200. And, and let me tell you, dude, like I've worked hard for a lot of stuff, but nothing is as sweet as that first internet dollar. Like I was running up and down my flat, shouting, fist pumping. And uh, since then, it's just been kind of, yeah, like progressing forward. Um, yeah, maybe we can talk about the other products in, in a bit, but no. that first product was the, the kind of the catalyst going forward. Cool, cool. Ah. And so, okay, you had initial traction with your, with your health thread. You saw that, hey, there's something here I can, I can capitalize on. How did you build? I guess we've already skipped like the hardest part. I think, you know, getting to one or 2,000 followers, that's probably the hardest part. Maybe we can go do that quickly. And then I, I'm interested in, okay, a month before you had that viral thread, how did you move on from there? Yeah, well, I'm actually the wrong person to ask about that first 1,000 followers because it took me 12 months to hit it. So yeah, like it, it was the world's slowest nine to five escape plan. And the problem is that when people ask me like, why did it take so long? The mistake was, A, I was spread too thin. I was trying to be everywhere, but growing nowhere, right? So I was doing Reddit, Instagram, email, all these things. And so I tell everyone like, just nail social media first, this audience first approach will set free, whatever else you want to do. The other thing was that I had no 
kind of strategy behind the content, right? Like it's great to write platitudes and stuff, but there needs to be this kind of why behind the brand so that people can unite behind you. And so what happened was just by chance, I wrote the thread about my neck and I actually wrote that four months before. But what happened, mate, was that for some reason, like I, I was reading in my journal and the first day I started writing, I actually wrote, I'm not here to talk about myself. And so I wrote this thread and I thought, no one wants to hear this shit. You know, like, oh, woe is me, all these things that I've learned. What I now know is that like, you are your only differentiator, right? Like people genuinely care about your story if you can attach a lesson to it. And so that thread, I posted it. And then the amount, I got like 300 DMs. And I was like, oh my God, right. And that was just from something I thought they didn't care about. And so what I thought, mate, for strategy was the best stories kind of happen in real time right? It's great talking about what happened in the past, but what if you kind of extrapolate that and go, well, let's do something pretty cool, build in public, share the results and, and invite your audience along for the ride. And so, you know, I told people I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to set up a business where the more you write, the more you earn. But most importantly, I wanted it to be freedom first. I didn't want a diary full of clients. I didn't want to have calls all day. Is it possible? I didn't know, right? And so um, what I did to build my audience then, mate, was, okay, instead of writing to grow, let's write to learn. And so everything I was studying around marketing, copywriting, storytelling, anything that really interested me, I would learn something and then the next day I'd make a commitment to share it. And uh, I refer to this as kind of like serving your shadow, right? And it's really powerful because you begin to attract people that are just like you. And that was basically my thread strategy, man. I was like, look, um, every time I tried to write to impress people, it kind of didn't feel right. Every time I wrote to reinforce what I learned, it was like, well, that, that's pretty cool. And even when stuff wasn't going that well, because it wasn't for a long time, I still felt at least I was cementing that knowledge and that sort of stuff compounds in the background, right? Yeah. And then yeah, you, like the first couple of thousand followers that took a while, you got the first thread. How did you then decide? Because I will talk about your course in, in a minute, but I know you mentioned there that, you know, a lot of people say focus on one thing only. And you, you know, you have a bit of a different view on that. How did you, you know, go about that? Why did you choose that as your strategy? I think the problem with standard niching advice is that it boxes you into a corner and it kind of limits one of the best parts about writing online, which is exploring what you want to do in the first place. So like if you start calling yourself the X guy or the solopreneur in that Justin Welsh-esque sort of style stuff, you begin to sort of make commitments that stop you exploring your curiosity, right? And so the way that I approached it was, even if it takes twice as long, let's just use a filter for our content. What fascinates me most? What is the stuff that I find genuinely interesting? And so you can kind of begin broad and then begin to dig deep based on feedback. And you know, one problem when I say feedback is people go, oh, great, well, this, this thread went viral, so let's go do lots more of that. And you know, if you're not careful, three months later, you're just writing quotes, threads, and morning routines, right? Um, so you need to be a little bit careful with that. But the, the biggest part of feedback is that internal feedback, right? Like, did it feel great to write? Am I genuinely interested in writing this thing? And like, does this give me energy? Because the cool bit about taking this approach is it's quite a nice force and function for actually, you know, kind of landing on an interesting niche. Because if you're not fascinated by it, I guarantee by thread five or 10, you're not going to have anything to say. But that topic that you can't stop talking about, regardless of the external result, like that's the topic that, that you're going to become known for, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm more of like a uh, release the tiller, right? Just see what happens, follow the, follow the signal, and then um, yeah, just make sure you're keeping that one person in mind and think, how is this useful to someone else? Yeah. 
Excellent. And and then so how, how did you decide what to write about? And you know, you could have maybe had some threads that you didn't enjoy writing, but that got a lot of engagement. And you could have probably also that the reverse is you enjoyed writing something, but you didn't get any feedback. How did that go? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and like stand on my podium and say that I was earlier than that sort of thing. Man, I wrote my fair share of uh, cringe threads. I've got the uh, 10 books before you die, eight habits before 8 a.m., that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, that stuff, like, um, I view it as like a reputation ratio. And it's okay to take the occasional win, right? Like, um, occasionally, I, I still write threads on walking because I know they'll go viral. Right? And I love walking. But I know that there's someone reading that going, my God, this guy's a Muppet. But that's just the game, right? And like, you have to accept a certain level of cringe. I think the thing that people get wrong is that there's a reputation ratio. And, you know, it takes years to build a reputation, but you can destroy that shit in three weeks. And so what I say is, like, let's take a win every sort of 10 or so. But the in terms of making it more strategic or something tangible, I thought that let's write a thread that builds authority. Okay, so uh, in terms of authority, uh, I would try to either create one of my own frameworks or share tips, mistakes, lessons, blueprints, how I did this, how I did that. I would write a thread that basically entertains. Okay, so entertaining or might be a bit of storytelling, you know, the next stuff, something quite interesting or maybe funny. And, you know, that kind of authority, entertainment, and then education, right? So it's like authority by association. So I still do these. Like, for example, I've just finished a deep dive on Seth Godin. I'll go write a thread about Seth Godin because now I know his ideas really well. And what I suggest to people are what I did to grow. I, grew, I ended up growing quite fast by like March 2022 to the end of that. I got like 100,000 followers. The, the main mechanism behind that was A, leaning into authority by association early on. So I could go write a thread about my writing tips and it would do okay. But I could go write about someone like Paul Graham, Butcher or Naval and it would do 100 times better. And the cool bit is when you start writing about the ideas of people you really like, the people you attract have similar views, right? They go, hey, I like Naval. I now like Kieran. And so that was quite a cool way to do it. And then um, the other side of it, mate, in terms of strategy was, I was quite late to this game, is paying attention to the data, right? So like I would, and this is just for threads firstly, beforehand I was just creating loads of content, like it was just a huge treadmill. And then I thought, well, look, um, we've created six months of content here. Why are you not spending five minutes to look and say what went well? Because your audience is voting with their attention, right? And it's like, you can start from a blank page or you could say, let's say you write a thread with 10 tips and one tip goes really well. And, and let's say it's the rule of one, one platform, one avatar, one offer. Why is that not your next thread? All right? Like this concept changed my life, the rule of one, let's go through it. And so I started following the data quite a lot. And the cool bit there is that you have this compounding effect of attention where people go, I like this and I like that and I like that. And they're just voting for you to go onwards and upwards. So that was a thread game. And then the other side of it was tweets, mate. And I'm a huge fan of systems. I think that we should all be trying to make stuff as effortless as possible with content. And so what I thought was the whole point in writing is giving people what they want, right? Value. And what is value? Well, it's like we said before, it's education, entertainment, and inspiration. And so my idea was that like, no matter what we do, if we educate, entertain, and inspire every day, so three tweets a day, hitting these three pillars, on a long enough time frame, the relationship that you form with your reader is going to be significantly stronger than the person that just teaches or the person that just writes platitudes. And so I made a commitment. It was a story tweet a day, a bit of action, more advice. And then, you know, personality, which is your platitudes, your enemy-based stuff, 
all the fun stuff there. And I think that you know, those two systems, that was it. That's all I kept executing on over and over until I got better and better, you know, writing the hooks, getting better at copywriting, that sort of stuff. Yeah, cool. And maybe if we go into specifics, like the example you, you share is if you tweet out a thread, normally like the first thread will, of the first uh, tweet will get 100 likes and then 90, 80, whatever. So it'll go down. But sometimes we'll see outliers. So one of those tweets more down the button will get a lot more likes. And that's one of the things you mentioned is, you know, that could be the start of a new thread if you see those outliers. And then I think other things you mentioned is, okay, you know, people need value first. So next time you tweet something like that or you create another thread around that ID, make sure that tweet that did well position more towards the top because, you know, people will interact with it more. Yeah. I mean, I just think my, my mistake early on, mate, was I just, there was so much friction around the content process. But building an audience is not like, it's not the end of the game, right? It's the start. Like, it's what you're going to do with it after. And it's very, very easy to spend all your time creating content and have no bandwidth to think. And ultimately, like it's judgment that will set you apart, right? And and so your words, your assets, and like once you publish them once, you need to make them work 10 times harder for you. So like my, I've written the same thread maybe six, seven times over the past two years. And yeah, I talk about this in my course, you can see it get better and better each time. So anytime there would be, let's say it was 10 tweets, I would move the, the highest five up to the top and then I add a couple more ideas at the bottom and we'll see how they'll do. And then I started adding visuals and then I made the visuals better. And now I can write that thread. It takes maybe half an hour and usually it's about a thousand followers each time. And so like you have that, these like pillar threads, right? That you can say, this was banging. I put a lot of time into it. Let's post it every four to six months. I don't necessarily agree with um, when people just click repost. Uh, I think that there's a big difference between repetition and iteration and even taking five minutes to edit yourself, change the angle of the hook, turn tips into mistakes. There's loads of little things you can do that reward your fans as a, and attract followers. Because sometimes if you're just saying the same shit, your fans are going to be like, man, like you're not putting much effort in for me. Why should I put effort in for you? Yeah, true. I know many people will, will think this is interesting. Other people won't. But how many, how many tweets do you post per day? How many threads per week? And I know it's more about, you know, if you have the time to put out quality versus just following your lead, but just to have a little bit of idea. So I, it's three tweets a day, uh, you know, following that three pillars of magnetic writing, I call it, just so you can attract your, your fans and uh, generally two threads a week. But I'll be honest with you. So, I mean, I, what I did early on was a um, 30 threaded 90 day challenge, which is a brilliant forcing function because like the first 20 was sucked, right? But you can only suck for so long. And, um, and it also obviously, of course, you make a huge amount of noise to find signal. Then the whole two-thread game became a little bit of a trap, actually, man. Like, um, I wish I told myself earlier, or someone told me, you have enough for each, let's do something with it. And I only really found that out this year when um, I built the new product. And I wanted it to be banging, right? Like, my, my first product was pretty good, but it was stuck together. It was patched together. And I didn't enjoy selling it because I knew it could be better. And I thought, let's build something really cool. But I was also still trying to do all this content and all that. And eventually, I had to just stop. I stopped writing threads, tweets. I was just reposting the old stuff. Thank you, Hype Fury. And, um, <laughs> and uh, it made me realize that consistency can be a bit of a trap as well as a gift. Uh, I do think that as an early creator, really important, three tweets a day, two threads a week, sit tight for a year, let's see what happens. But you need to be willing to sort of throw away the game plan on occasion because asymmetrical bets are what lead to these like really big leaps of progress. Yeah. And what was the thing that clicked when you decided, hey, I need to you know, upgrade my, my course, I need to create something new, and I can sell it for a higher ticket number? 
I think there was a little bit of a signal that I didn't pay attention to originally in that throughout 2022, I, I set aside a bit of time to build these high quality free courses. And, you know, people thought that was kind of stupid. Um, you know, you're giving away all your best ideas. Uh, now I know it's like give 99% away for free, charge for that final 1%. And around 35,000 people downloaded these courses. And basically there's a lot of goodwill there. But the problem was my first product was just a swipe file. It's not transformative. I've, you know, got a lot of thoughts about systems or these things. And I thought, well, let's do it properly this time, right? It's been a year since I've launched a product. I sold around 750 copies. I got a bit better at copywriting, all these things. But let's, every time you take on a project, your skills, your confidence, it gets much higher. But this time I thought, let's aim for high, right? Because I mean, uh, I mean, you found this idea get going, then get good from Jack Butcher. But I think at a point you need to flip that and get good, then get going. And um, the thing if you nail a product is that it's just as much a reputation building asset as a revenue one. Now, I didn't expect it to be six figures. I'll be honest, dude, like that was a roller coaster we'll talk about in a moment. But my thought was, mate, you build this thing once. Now we have something to sell for the next two to three years if you iterate on it. And I was like, I didn't want to build something and then three months later, I have to go do it again. And they won't have to write copy and then read the copy and be like, Jesus, man, like putting some effort. So it's about kind of going slow to do the right thing, right? And so you launched the course, run us through like the month before and then launch date and then a couple of weeks after what happened. Yeah. I mean, it was a, uh, it was probably the most intense two to three months of work before the course. Uh, I'll be honest, like, um, even for the sales page alone, I, I probably was studying for like a hundred hours, learning copywriting, you know, to write something that's read in 10 minutes. But long story short, there was a lot of work going into it. And my original aim was to make 20, 30K. And I thought that's a you know, pretty good launch. I saw Justin had made maybe like 48K on his product. And I thought, or maybe like 60K, I can't remember the exact number. And I thought, you know what, I'm nowhere near as good as him. This is pretty cool. Then I started speaking to internet marketers, right? And there's like a whole, you have the content creators, but then you have the internet marketers, right? And the thing with internet marketers is they know about real money, right? <laughs> and so I spoke to like, you know, George 10 and they started going um, six-figure launch. It's like, if you can't make a six-figure launch, if you have 100,000 followers, then it's a complete fail. And I usually don't get my hopes up about stuff. But as it came to launch day, I was like, look, man, you've, you've worked bloody hard here. Like the slides look sick. The copy looks good, I thought. And anyway, mate, so um, we launched uh, mid-May. And on the Saturday, 2 p.m., you know, clicked that sales email. I was like, you remember last time where you said your email? Don't do that again. Of course I did that again, yeah? Oh, just staring and refreshing. Except this time, mate. So last time I sold maybe like 20, 30 copies in a couple hours, right? And day one of your launch is meant to be the best day. And so I made me the last. Dude, man, like me and my girlfriend were going for a drink at the pub two hours later. The whole plan was get drunk and watch the money come in. <laughs> I sold like six copies in two hours. And I was there going, holy shit, something has gone wrong here. Like the, either the copy is really bad. The emails aren't landing. Like you just threw away months of failure. And like, I always told myself like, you, you, either, you either succeed or there's a story, right? And I, you know, but no one wants to write the story about how your product flopped. And um so it was a bit of an emotional rollercoaster, mate, because now I was there, you know, I'm at the pub and I'm telling my girl, yeah, you know, I'll be happy with the 20K. And what ended up happening, mate, was A, I spoke to George again and he was like, well, send more emails. The more emails you send, the more money you make. I also went on a spaces. I wrote a thread every single day. Every single tweet was about the product, um, but not like, hey, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. It was always like a natural call to action. Basically, I cranked the marketing up and 
The other thing, man, was the social proof flywheel. So when someone bought my product, you get this email from me. It's got a little picture of me, which I do in all my emails and you know, saying, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And by the way, if you like the product when you're taking it, if you could just post a screenshot of, of iImpact writing and post it on Twitter, that would be brilliant. And, and people will do stuff if you give them a reason, right? So I'm not going there. I want to make more money. I just said like, I was like, look, I can't write another word about high impact writing about people killing me. So will you guys do it for me? And by day four, man, I couldn't keep up retweeting. Like everyone loved the course. So I was boom, boom, boom. The social proof flywheel, uh, day four alone was $74,000. Wow. Yeah. So a wild, wild few days, man. Wow. Cool. Fantastic. And so uh, the, to the first couple of hours, like you sent an email to 10,000, 20,000 people. How many people? First email was actually only to um, 1,500 because I don't know, I don't know, waiting list pre-launch. And so I'd actually started pre-marketing maybe three months before to build up this waiting list. But then the second email went to 20,000 people and that was only three hours later. And, and even that, like the first day was not good. <laughs> wow. wow. So you had to keep pushing. But it was, like there was there was some kind of offer, I think, no? That there was the price going to increase or I, I, I can't remember. I was one of the people that, that bought, not within the first couple of hours, but within the first couple of days. But yeah. There was natural urgency. The one thing I'm not doing anymore is no discount selling. So I, I made a lot of the viral inspiration, which was my first product, uh, the money from that was from discount selling, right? Uh, you know, hey, it's launch, special launch price, 50% off. Uh, I'm not doing that at all because I do feel like it impacts your reputation. And I feel like you, instead of taking away value, let's add it. So if you bought the product within the four-day launch window, would also get a webinar, on how to build your creative business. And that's really cool because it's like, it also has this implication where if someone's not sure, they read, I don't want to sell how to make money, just I made a bit of money, right? So it's, it's a writing product. But they read the writing product and, and, and if you see that the bonus is how to build a business off the back of writing, you think the writing advice must be pretty good. So it's like a time bonus. There was also another time bonus. And I said, look, at the end of this four days, A, the product's not for sale anymore because I want to improve the product for people that buy it before I relaunch it. Oh. B, you don't get the access to the live stuff. And that was enough urgency you know, to, to get people to buy it, I think. so. It's yeah, interesting because I didn't see it like in the first one or two days, I think. And then it was, I think the, the tweet that got my attention was uh, that sales was really starting to ramp up. That's when I saw it because I, I didn't subscribe to any of your emails, I think. So, but that was, that was when I noticed it. Yeah. It, it, I got that from Jack Butcher, right? Like he done this for his launches and, of better or worse, we're always looking for signals from other people. And so, again, people start to buy. I think what the big mistake people make when launching is that they don't talk about it enough, man. Like, you have to be your own cheerleader in moments like this because it's such a small window. My fear the first time around, man, that I was too scared of, like, marketing too much. But I, I kind of feel like you only worry about marketing too much if you haven't provided enough value in the first place you're allowed to make a big ask of your audience yeah. if you spent enough time just helping them out. So, so yeah, man, like I feel like treat launch like game day, right? Like anything that's happening, you write about it. Someone writes in and goes, yo, this product looks cool. Screenshot it, make it a tweet. Cause you just don't know. Like it's, it's just simple mathematics, right? Like you've got a page that's going to convert X percentage. How much traffic can I drive to it? And can I frame that traffic so that when someone clicks on that page, they go, man, I want this. Like other people seem to want it. And, and, and that was the whole strategy, man. Oh, cool. And, and now, did, did uh, the sale of your course, did that bring in a lot of people for your cohort as well? Or vice versa? So I don't actually have a cohort. Uh, but you have like a, the writing, wait, is that not a cohort? 
I thought we had a cord as well. Before high impact writing, I sold a uh, group coaching cohort called yeah group coaching, and that was actually a preliminary for the course. Okay, because what I learned from my first product was that if you release untested stuff, it gets average results. And this time around, you know, you kind of you think your systems are great until you teach it to someone else. So we've done group coaching, and the thing with group coaching, and it was going to be this was going to be the business model, right? Like product coaching and carry on. The energy just wasn't there. The money was brilliant. So like that was my first 20k month. But then I realized that I had to spend a lot of time not writing. And it's writing that gives me the energy, man. So I done the group coaching, canceled it. I get a little bit of money from people that have decided for continuity. But now I actually have no back end, which is, you know, like a business sin, right? So I'm currently working that out. So no cohort at the moment, but I'm thinking about setting up some sort of like a MRR, probably around the psychology of writing. Uh, the reason I thought cohort was because you got some shit from uh, Mr. Nicholas. I thought he's he's uh, somehow you know you're you're taking some of his market share in cohort. So that's why I thought he was uh, he was giving you some slack or <laughs> some shit. No, I mean um, that was an interesting time. The the reason why I got a little bit of public beef, which I detest by the way, is because I one of my sales emails was my view on shit and you know i'm not going to get into it but i just suggested that you might prefer my product if you like certain criteria and unfortunately i i think that rubbed um cole up the wrong way a little bit and uh you know <laughs> as it may it worked out kind of well for me in the end thankfully like uh twitter came to the rescue but i just i just kept quiet man because i mean that's the best way to deal with public drama <laughs> ah, exactly exactly yeah funny i i also i i did ship 30 I don't know, two years ago, but I, I, I didn't complete it. And I also thought it wasn't that great and because I, I also expected a bit more like feedback from Dickie and Nicholas, which there was hardly any. And I, uh, so that was, that, was, that was a bit of a down for me. But, uh, you know, uh, I, lear- I learned a little bit, but I think like for me, like I just, I put you on 1.5 or 1.8 or to whatever speed. And then I just go quickly through the videos. And that's, that's a good way for me to just absorb new info and then, you know, come up with new ideas myself or change my strategy. That's how I, I think do. we, we kind of do a similar man. Like I know all the rage was cohort based courses, right? It was like, it's the most lucrative. There's brilliant feedback loops, but dude, I've never enjoyed a cohort. I've never finished one. I feel like they're too slow. I like the way Nathan Barry thinks about this, where there's, there's no actual limit on how fast you can learn something. It's just literally how, how much time you want to put into it. I get the good thing with cohorts is community, right? But what I, you know, I, I almost went down the cohort model and I thought, why would you build something that you don't like yourself? Yes, digital products have fallen out of fashion a bit, but like if you build something that you genuinely love for the person you used to be, there's only one outcome from that, in my opinion. And if you now look back at your launch, what would you do differently? You know, man, like I'm always hesitant to answer that question because I'm a big believer in cause and effect, right? You might say that you would do something else differently. Maybe you nailed day one, but that could have had an impact on day four. So uh, the only thing I will say is just like, and I hope I listen to myself for the next launch is just give yourself a fucking break. Like um, less expectation of the result, more celebrating the fact you put in the effort and I think that's pretty much about it, man. The rest of it, like I couldn't have, I couldn't have worked any harder. So um, I think if people were launching, it's just um, treating it like an experiment as opposed to some big event that you base your happiness on for, for everything online, really, I think is solid advice. 
And for beginner writers, what would you tell them? You know, how, how would you tell them to get started on Twitter, for example? Yeah, sure. I mean, the start is really overwhelming, right? And I, I, I think the problem is that when you listen to creators ahead of you, that you kind of lose touch with that, like doubt and fear and, and all these things. And the way that I have approached the game was trying to, A, treat it like a game. And, you know, the thing when you play a game is that you don't really have this fear of failure with whatever you do. You know that if you die, you're going to resurrect and you're going to carry on and it doesn't really matter. And you know, if you do a certain amount of reps, you're going to get to a certain point. The same is true of writing. And so, um, you know, first off is like, okay, let's gamify the process. And the way that I have always approached it is output over outcome, right? Because if you're posting tweets and then you're staring at the metrics, the only, like, it's a zero sum game, right? You either win or lose and nine times out of 10, you lose. However, if you tell yourself, well, what do I want to achieve, right? Well, I want to get better at writing. What can I do to make that happen? Okay, I'm going to post three tweets a day and I'm going to post 30 threads in 90 days as an example. Now we have a numerical target and you celebrate the effort you put in as opposed to the result that comes out. The other side of it then, mate, is like, what do you write about? And there are many things you can write about and that can be really overwhelming, that like op optionality. And so I think the first point is the most important and that's like, let's lean into your curiosity. What's this thing that you're really interested in? And either you either look back in your life and you say, right, what's the biggest problem I've solved that I can then help solve for other people that I enjoy? So it's like competence. But the problem with that, like, for example, I used to solve fillings, okay? I didn't want to write about fillings. <laughs> so like the, the inverse of that question is like, what would you like to achieve in the next kind of three years? Because the internet is a really cool opportunity to reshape your identity, right? And the main part though, mate, is just like volume destroys all doubts. So you're going to go away and you're going to do all these fancy Venn diagrams and listen to all these plots about getting your exciting and unique niche. Everything you plan is going to be obsolete in six months. And so what you want to do is pick a direction, right? Here's a topic I'm going to start learning about. And then you're going to start writing. You're going to commit to volume and then you're going to start listening and thinking, well, was that? that was fun. That was cool. And then most importantly, like take the knowledge game seriously because there's like this meme on Twitter, you don't need a, a useless degree to, to build online, right? And I spent five years getting my degree, so I used to love that shit. The truth is like knowledge is the only thing that kind of sets you apart, right? Knowledge and skill. And like you would you know this more than anyone, anything you want to build as a creator, there's a whole like wealth of stuff you need to know how to do, right? Marketing, copywriting, storytelling, even philosophy, like creativity, these are all skills. And so it's like, I mean, me personally, I uh, particularly most of you being your nine to five, I quit TV for a year. And every single day when I came home, I'd read a book, right? Just searching for more knowledge. Morning was writing, afternoon when in the lunch break was Twitter, evening was studying. And you kind of have to have that intensity at first. It's really hard. But well, me personally, it's been worth every effort. Cool, man. Super. Kieran, thanks so much for this talk. It was a lot of fun. For people who don't know where to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, just come on over to Twitter. It's at it's Kieran Drew uh, or KieranDrew.com. You can join my newsletter, which is Digital Freedom, where I just share a strategy, help you kind of uh, you know, build your business uh, by writing online. And thank you for having me, mate. You're welcome. That's a wrap. But before we end this episode, I want to make a gentleman's agreement with you. I keep sharing these amazing podcasts with you. And the only thing you need to do in return is to go to YouTube, search for Hype Fury and subscribe to our channel and go do it right now. And I'll see you again next week.